0: Hey everyone, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 114 and today I'm going to talk about the behaviors number 6 through 10 from the book The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey and these behaviors have to do mostly with competence. So how did everyone do last week? Did you pick a behavior? Did that help? I find this all really fascinating if you think of trust in all these different ways and how important it is to relationships when you have high trust and really it makes a difference when everything just seems hard and dark and heavy when you have low trust going on. So there's so many different ways, and it's interesting to now this set is about competence. So let's see what has been going on this week for our family. Really not a ton. Hope you all voted yesterday. It was election day. Yeah, that's about it. We had a day off, which was kind of fun. Although I do have to say having a Tuesday off is kind of lame. We were talking about this this morning as I was driving kids to seminary. It's just like hard to get back going again. You just started Monday and then you have Tuesday off. and So yeah, the kids are saying Wednesday is good. And I was discussing with my youngest daughter who really actually loved when school was in like hybrid mode where they would have three days at school and two days home. She actually was like, that was the best. You had time at school, but not a ton. And then you had two days at home where you just worked at your own pace. So anyway, kind of random, but hope you guys had a good day and have had a good week. And hopefully some of these trust things have been helpful. I know for me, there's a couple of things that I've noticed that I'm kind of weak on and how it takes a bit to really begin to get better. So I'm still working on it. (laughs) It's been a week. So yeah, sometimes I wish there's so much that I get into and can cover and you need like a month to really go through a lot of these things. All right, so we're going to get into the next group of behaviors. But what I really didn't talk about last week, which I am going to mention today, is there's a little bit of explanation on why Stephen M.R. Covey, the younger Covey, except he has a son that's named Stephen Covey, (laughs) but we could call him the clean and green Stephen. But he just says that behaviors really do help. As much as it's important to think about how to do things and changing your way you think about things, what he talks about, you know, changing these paradigms, he says, trust the noun, what we feel is often the result of trust the verb, what we do. So then he says, for the most part, the difference between those who change behavior and those who don't is a compelling sense of purpose. When your purpose is to accomplish results in a way that builds trust, suddenly the behaviors that build trust are no longer just nice to-dos. They become powerful tools that enable you to enjoy rich and satisfying relationships, greater collaboration, and shared accomplishment and more just plain fun. So there just becomes more of a purpose behind some of these things I think that we've heard. They're not like new concepts, but that choosing these behaviors can develop more trust between family members or at work or friends. All of them can really help. He mentions like his dad's thing from seven habits which is the emotional bank account and he always kind of he said he wishes like everyone had like a little you know like on your phones how you know how much either how much reception you have or even how much power and he's saying sometimes it'd be nice if you could see what your account looks like with different people and he said but you also need to think about it in two different ways because you could think of your relationship one way. think it's maybe higher trust. And someone might think about that a different way. And I think sometimes that really does happen when you're like, oh, we're just great. And then you find out they are thinking a totally different thing. And then he also mentions that all deposits are not created equal. He says little things can be proportionately large. And also some Little things can also be a big withdrawal as well. So I kind of mentioned that last week, but small things he says like forgetting an anniversary or not saying thank you or not attending to the small courtesies or customs can feel like a big thing for somebody. And then he says, it is important to know what constitutes a deposit to a person when you're trying to build trust. And then he says, when you have withdrawals, withdrawals are usually bigger than deposits. So you probably have to do a lot of deposits more regularly and fewer withdrawals, if that makes sense. And then one thing he says is that sometimes the fastest way to build trust is to stop making withdrawals. Um, Think of it like removing some restraining forces, and he talked about an arm of the business in a Covey leadership. And instead of trying to make this one part of the business work, they decided to stop that part of the business and make the rest more profitable. And that was actually really good for for their business. And that could be the same in family life. Maybe you stop being critical about something or just being more aware of where you're making withdrawals and where you can maybe stop doing that. Okay, so then um, the last thing I wanna mention before I get into like the behaviors is, he says the quickest way to decrease trust is to violate a behavior of character, while the quickest way to increase trust is to demonstrate a behavior of competence. Okay, so the first five were behaviors of character. And today we're going to talk about behaviors of competence, okay? All right, so behavior number six is deliver results. He says, results provide a powerful tool for building trust in relationships with others. It grows out of the principle of responsibility, accountability, and performance. Now, remember how each... Of the behaviors have a principle and then they have an opposite and a counterfeit. And then I'm also going to mention like at the end, kind of the bell curve and being on the left, too little, too much, or right in the middle. The opposite of delivering results is performing poorly or failing to deliver. The counterfeit is delivering activities instead of results. For example, being really busy, but not really productive. Hmm. I pause and really think about that idea, especially as like with my kids and delivering results and helping them learn to deliver results. Am I more worried about activities than I am with results? And I know results take time and you like need both. But anyway, it's just food for thought. So he shared a story about two of his sons. They're responsible for getting the garbage cans to the curb. And apparently at their house, it's a pretty hard job because they have a long driveway that's kind of steep. So they noticed how one of their sons, they just told him it was his job and he was continually delivering results. And it really made a difference with their relationship because they also had another son who they would have to constantly remind to do that job. So he said, we found that we are much quicker to listen to requests and extend privileges when a child delivers results and the account is high. So when they're actually doing the things. Like for us, we've been working on the dishes and me on following through on making sure everyone gets assigned night. And it does make a difference when they deliver the results, and also when they do it without like being reminded. That's another thing. So one thing he mentions also is that at work, producing results almost always gives a person more choices, more options, and more flexibility. And he says the CEO of Hard Rock Cafe, Pete Beaudrault, said the price of freedom is performance. And Stephen Mr. Covey describes his, like, first half of his definition of leadership is described as getting results in a way that inspires trust. All right. The other thing he says with delivering results is also with anticipating needs. And he says that also adds, like, a lot of dividends. So if you remember with behaviors, if you have low trust, you usually have extra taxes or, you know that people will put on your relationship if you want to think of like take things that are taken away or you can have dividends when you have a higher trust where things are a lot easier and you get extra perks like he was saying not necessarily perks but just like all this extra trust and he says one thing was about anticipating needs and it's funny when Nate and I go out to eat we always appreciate A server who is like on top of like making sure our drinks are filled a lot. I don't know why that's so great, but just also servers that are like coming out and anticipating your needs. That is really impressive. Not only just taking your orders and getting our food to us, but just anticipating needs, making sure our drink glasses are staying full. I really do definitely appreciate. Okay, so on the bell curve... If you think about this behavior, if you are too much to the right, so you have not enough delivering results, you're like below expectations in delivery, revealing the need to strengthen integrity, capabilities, and of course results. Okay, and then on the right side you see that delivery a plenty of results, but with no consideration as to whether those results are even the ones you should be focused on. So you just kind of need to be right in the middle. He mentions like in business, like people really working on a product that no one really wants. In some ways with like delivering results and with your kids, there's this balance. Sometimes I feel like when I hear my kids practicing, I want to make sure they're actually practicing what they're supposed to do for their lesson. But then the balance is also having the freedom to explore other things like doing both. I think it can be tricky in that way, but... And that's later in one of the behaviors is making sure we have clear expectations. But I think defining results, like what does done look like, I've heard Brene Brown say that really helps. So the summary of deliver results is to establish a track record of results, get the right things done, make things happen, accomplish what you're hired to do, be on time and within budget, don't overpromise and underdeliver, and don't make excuses for not delivering. Behavior six, deliver results. Next one, behavior number seven, get better. It's based on the principle of continuous improvement, learning, and change. The opposite is entropy, deterioration, resting on your laurels, or becoming irrelevant. Two common counterfeits the eternal student, the person who is always learning but never producing. And the second counterfeit is to try to fit everything into only one course of action. You only have like one way of doing things. So he has a quote from Liz Wiseman who said, It's not what you know, it's how fast you can learn. And he says there are two ways to get better. First, you can seek feedback. And he says a good way to really think about feedback is there's like an appropriate way. He says, Appropriately seeking feedback and acting on it is the hallmark of a learning, growing, and innovating company. And I think he also adds the caveat, it's possible to put too much emphasis on feedback or overreact to it. And in the process, discount your own instinct and vision. In addition, feedback often tells you more about the person who is giving it than about you. So there is this balance of receiving feedback and being willing to see it for what it is from that person and then keep it in context for yourself. Like not making it mean so much, but also helping it to get better. Okay. The other thing he says is to learn from mistakes. Most often, it's the failure that brings about the breakthroughs and insights. From the founder of Honda Motors company, Sorchiro Honda. He goes on, to me, success can only be achieved through repeated failure and introspection. In fact, success represents the 1% of your work that results from the 99% that is called failure. I've heard this a lot lately, like you got to fail forward. But I just think it's really interesting to not be afraid of failure. Like failure and success live in the same neighborhood. I've heard that said by Jody Moore a lot too. Another quote he gives was by Tom Watson. If you want to increase your success rate, double your failure rate. Which sometimes can be hard. Like we don't always want to fail. But he mentioned that he loves to ski and that when he was younger, he knew he was getting better because he was still falling a lot and willing to take risks. And he said like once he, I think it was he hit his peak around 18 and then he noticed himself not wanting to take risk and fall as much. And I noticed this as I've gotten older because I've noticed that I'm like nervous about getting injured because I like had... <laughs> you know, a handful of injuries that like just set you back for a while. And so you're like, oh, maybe I won't even do this. And I noticed like in the summertime, I usually like when I'm with my family, I usually try to get on the diving board and, you know, bring back a couple of my dives. But there are times where I just, first of all, don't want to show off because half the time I show off, I mess up really bad. And secondly, then I get hurt. (laughs) And sometimes I just am not up to doing that. And I notice, wow, yeah, I'm not going to get better or I'm not even going to stay the same if I'm not willing to risk. So I just think it's interesting, this idea of failure and risk and getting better and how that all works. So he says on the bell curve, you need all four cores to get there. You need integrity to make and keep improvement commitments You are at the peak when your intent is to approve your ability to make a contribution to the lives of others, whether with your talents or skills or your ability to learn. It involves capabilities to set and achieve meaningful goals and also the ability to establish, grow, and extend and restore trust. It also involves results both in terms of the maximizing the input-output ratio of the effort you invest in getting better And also seeing the relationship between the focus of improvement and the results you're trying to achieve. Uh, Okay, really all that all means is are you striving to get better? And maybe you're doing too little because you don't want to risk. So you kind of stay at a certain level or you might be doing too much that it's not getting you where you want to go. So he says, sometimes it's good to think about, is there one thing we should continue, we should stop, or we should start? Another trust tip he gave was to reframe a mistake as a feedback. And then he said to take steps to create an environment that makes it safe to make mistakes. The summary of behavior number seven, get better, continuously improve, increase your capabilities, be a constant learner. Develop feedback systems, both formal and informal. Act on the feedback you receive. Thank people for feedback. Don't consider yourself above feedback. Don't assume today's knowledge and skills will be sufficient for tomorrow's challenges. Okay, on to behavior number eight, confront reality. He says it's about taking the tough issues head on. It's about sharing the bad news as well as the good and naming the elephant in the room. Or what he says, addressing the sacred cows and discussing the undiscussables. It's based on the principle of courage, responsibility, awareness, and respect. The opposite of confront reality is to ignore it, to act as though it doesn't exist. And the counterfeit is to act as though You're confronting reality when you're actually evading it. It focuses on busy work and sideshows while skirting the real issue. So one thing he said in this section is when you treat people like adults, they act like adults. You are essentially saying you are an adult and you can handle this. And he also said there is a book by Jim Collins that he mentions regularly in the book In his book, Good to Great, and he had a quote that said, you can confront the brutal facts, yet never lose faith. And I think sometimes just coming and to understand your situation or just to kind of put it out there totally really does help. And I think I probably don't do that as much as I maybe could. But I'm usually grateful for people when they do do that. And I think it also, again, depends on the relationship and where you feel like your trust is. So um, when you're willing to just say it like it is. Because there's some people that I'm totally fine with saying it like it is when I need to. And so, yeah, I totally see how when you have higher trust, that's a lot easier. Okay, so he says, on the bell curve, too little confrontation is ignored or at best diluted, or perhaps there is confrontation but no follow-through. He says, a movement towards a sweet spot comes by increasing your courage, improving your intent, and working on trust abilities, your capabilities, and gaining confidence from experiences with the results of confronting reality. On the right side of the curve which i think is interesting you have to have that sweet spot because so you're not willing and on the other side you're confronting people instead of issues and sometimes brutally or they're into extremism or victimization one of his trust tips is he says if you feel uncomfortable in a personal or professional relationship ask yourself why is there some issue that's getting in the way of creating an open high trust relationship Consider confronting the issue head-on with respect. Okay, the summary for behavior number eight, confront reality, is take issues head-on, even the undiscussables, address the tough stuff directly, acknowledge the unsaid, confront issues before they turn into major problems, confront the reality, not the person, remove the sword from their hands, he has, in quotes, the sword from their hands. Lead out courageously in conversations, don't skirt the real issues, and don't bury your head in the sand. Okay, behavior number nine is clarify expectations. It is to create a shared vision and agreement about what is to be done up front. He said is based on the principles of clarity, responsibility, and accountability. The opposite of clarify expectations is to leave expectations undefined or to assume they already are known or to fail to disclose them so there is no shared vision of the desired outcome. The counterfeit of clarify expectations is to create smoke and mirrors to give lip service to clarifying expectations but fail to pin down the specifics, results, deadlines, or dollars and cents that facilitate meaningful accountability violated expectations almost always get translated into trust issues. Okay, so he says, especially at home, this is really helpful to clarify expectations. He shared a story about his one daughter who was asked to clean up her room before she went to this particular activity. So the daughter went up and she did what she thought was to clean her room. And her mom comes up later after the daughter is gone and doesn't like what that looks like. And so they they had an argument. They were about to call the daughter home. And then they realized that the daughter thought she was doing what she was asked to do because there weren't very clear expectations. And so they allowed her to stay and then realized that they need to make sure to clarify expectations. So it says, make sure you're clear what clean means. There was one mother who had a list of what clean means in each room and that she would help her children understand. When I come into the room and ask you to be clean, these are the five things that need to happen. So I think that's really, really helpful as a parent. And this might be one thing I work on, although I might just need to take a month and do all of them, work on these over the whole year, but making sure everybody is very aware of the expectations up front so that on the back end, you're not saying, oh, but I thought you were going to do this, and they think that, and da-da-da-da-da, and then you go back and forth. So he says, keep in mind that clarifying expectations effectively is always a two-way street. People have the opportunity to push back, To help come to an expectation that is realistic and will work from both points of view. So he also mentioned there was a story of a company that they were trying to come to an agreement with. And they ended up calling off the agreement. They just said, we're going to have no deal. And the person on the other end of this agreement was kind of offended and called Stephen M. R. Covey out and said, I thought you believed in the win-win principle that your dad teaches and he said well I do and in this situation it was either going to be win lose on my end or lose win there wasn't a way that both of us were going to win so you have to remember it needs to be win win or no deal otherwise someone's definitely going to lose the other thing he mentioned is the clean and green story, bringing that back. His dad was very clear on what his expectations of what would happen and spent two weeks walking through each day like what would be expected. And he said, I don't really care your methods, but here are the expectations and helped him know what are the options of what you can do. The other thing he pointed out, which I thought was interesting, is he said, there are two things that really help with the clarifying expectations. One is the quantify everything. So what is the result? By whom? By when? At what cost? How will it measure? And when and to whom is the accountability, both in terms of benchmarks and end results? And that that's when you go back to the example of the clean and green story, okay? And the second thing he points out is, is you need to look at three variables, Quality, speed, and cost. And realize you can usually pick any two, but not all three. So like if you want something with high quality and speed, then it's probably going to cost more. If you want something quickly and to cost less, then the quality might be down. Or if you want something that's high quality and low cost, it might take a little bit more time. But he says, however, there's one transforming variable That can alter this trade-off question, and that is high trust. When the environment of trust is strong enough, the achievement of high quality value, high speed, and low cost becomes a realistic possibility. Okay, so if you go into the bell curve, on the left side of the curve, you're not being sufficiently clear. And on the right side, you're being too detailed, too activity-oriented, or too close to Interim adjustments if needed too distrusting, kind of micromanaging, so that there's too much and too little of expectations. All right, so the summary for this behavior is disclose and reveal expectations, discuss them, validate them, renegotiate them if needed and if needed and possible. Don't violate expectations and don't assume that expectations are clear or shared. All right, the last behavior of today is behavior number 10. Now, remember, there's 13 total. We'll go to the last three next week. Okay, so behavior number 10 is practice accountability. There is a reason that this is after clarifying expectations, he says, because it's hard to practice accountability when you don't have clear expectations. This behavior is built on the principle of accountability, responsibility, responsibility, stewardship and ownership the opposite of this behavior is to not take responsibility to not own up but rather say it's not my fault the counterfeit is to point fingers and blame others and to say it's their fault he says taking responsibility is so powerful in building trust When people, particularly leaders, hold themselves accountable, it encourages others to do the same. When someone in a family says, I'm sorry, or I shouldn't have yelled, I didn't show respect, that acknowledgement of accountability encourages others to be accountable for their own behavior. It also creates an environment of openness and trust accountability builds extraordinary trust in the culture when people feel secure in the knowledge that everyone will be held to certain standards when leaders don't hold people accountable the opposite is true people feel it is unfair that is seriously so true and also very difficult especially if you don't have clear expectations defined and I think that's somewhere where It's easy to struggle as a parent, I know for myself, and then holding people responsible. And then there's that difficulty of like, you want to hold someone accountable and it's like so hard. It's like a hard thing for you. So for instance, he shares a story about his son who got his license and they made this agreement and part of the agreement was that he had to obey all the laws and if he didn't, his driving privileges would be revoked from them. And so I don't know how many months into his driving, but his son gets pulled over. He was going quite a bit over the speed limit. And it was at quite a detriment to them because, you know, when you finally get a child that's able to drive themselves and help drive people and pick things up, it really is such a help in the family. And he mentioned how they had to follow through and hold their son accountable Because they had made this agreement, it was clear, and so they had to follow through, even though it was hard, and it actually made it harder for them. And I think a lot of times that can be the case, which is why sometimes it's really hard to hold people accountable, but that it's really important. And he said that his son, after that, he couldn't drive for a couple months, became one of the best drivers, and was then trusted by like all his friends' parents if they knew that his son was driving they knew they would be driving safely and under the speed limit. So I just think that's really kind of interesting this idea of practicing accountability and how that really as parents can is important and also difficult at the same time. That is kind of one of those hard things. I think there's a lot of hard things about being a parent, but that practicing accountability and like when they don't do something and then they can't go to an activity and you want them to be able to go but there's just some things that you just have to keep your agreements and again I can see if you have a really clear defined expectations it's way easier to do that. Okay, so on the left side of the curve, you have under-owning. This comes from failure to appropriately accept full responsibility or follow through with accountability in an organization or family. To move to the sweet spot often necessitates strengthening character, integrity, and intent, particularly in holding ourselves accountable. It always necessitates strengthening our competence Improving our ability to consistently define and meet personal expectations and also to create accountability in a culture, whether at home or at work. Then he said on the right side of the curve is overowning, where you're taking the blame for everything in either a broken relationship or everything at home becomes your fault. Then no one takes responsibility. I liked this trust tip that he mentions, look for ways to create an environment of accountability in your home. Set up trust talks with your partner on matters you've agreed to work together on, such as finances. Create agreements with your children concerning their responsibilities and at home and include consequences, both natural and logical, both good and bad. Follow through on your agreements. I like this last statement. Give family members a person and a culture they can trust. Okay, summary for behavior number 10, practice accountability is hold yourself accountable first, hold others accountable second, take responsibility for results, good or bad. Be clear on how you'll communicate how you're doing and how others are doing. Don't avoid or shirk responsibility. Don't blame others or point fingers when things go wrong. Okay, you guys. Wow. Okay. Let's go over each of the behaviors that we covered today, and then again, I encourage you guys to choose one of them. So behavior number six, deliver results. Behavior number seven, get better. Behavior number eight, confront reality. Behavior number nine, clarify expectations. And behavior number 10, practice accountability. Okay, what are you going to pick? I kind of mentioned before, I think I'm going to start on number nine, make sure I'm being more clear because I think that's part of my issue and I'm slowly working on that with my kids as I kind of mentioned to you each time we're getting better but it doesn't happen in this like linear way it's just kind of like this wiggly line that you kind of get better and then you don't have a good couple days and so it's slowly getting better I'm keeping on getting back on track but remember, all these things, I think it's good to first have an awareness of them, how these behaviors help build trust, which helps really in all your relationships. And then just be patient with yourself as you choose to work on some of them. I like the idea that Jody Moore tells regularly is that we're all 50-50. We're all great 50% of the time. And sometimes we're all mess 50% of the time. And just to be willing to like take a minute to think of maybe what's one of these behaviors that might help my family or at work or whatever might be helpful. Hey, you guys. And also remember, be patient and kind with yourself as you go about working on some of these things. So I notice that uh, it does take a bit, like rethinking first an awareness and then the practicing. Okay, have a great week, you guys. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com, where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week, and thanks for listening.